There's no such thing as a free lunch. Have you heard that expression? Do you believe it? Can you actually get things for free? Well, today's guest has not only written a book about it, he's made a career of it. And I'm really interested and excited to find out more from Mike Essex, who's one of the inspirations for some of the early content at Pop-Up Business School. So let's talk about getting free stuff. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. I'm very excited to have a friend with me today, Mike Essex. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited you're here. Like We've on and off talked for many, many years. You came on my radio show back in the old days when I had a radio show on Radio Basingstoke. Do you remember that? Yeah, taking over the world one city at a time. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot from those days. And then we've stayed in touch and I found it very interesting to watch your career. And that book you told me about, I read very early on in the early days, which was the title, correct me if I'm wrong, How to Get Free Stuff Every Day. Uh, yeah, it was just free stuff every day. Free stuff yeah. every day. I added the yeah. how-to because I felt like that's what it needed. <laughs> free stuff every day. And that and your stories about what you achieved actually inspired a lot of what we were doing with Pop-Up and the ideas around, can you start a business for free? So how did this all come about? Where did the idea for this book come from and where did the genesis of can you actually get stuff for free come from so i was a big fan of the books by dave gorman and danny wallace which is going back like 15 years now and they always had these really crazy challenges and i sort of thought could a normal person get stuff for free the way a celebrity does it now this was kind of pre-facebook pre-youtube there were no influencers it wasn't like now where you can just start up a instagram feed and get stuff so I just started asking companies like, hey, can I have something for free just because I've asked? And it just kind of grew and grew. And before I knew it, I had 500 products from 200 companies for free just because <laughs> I talked about them on, on a blog. And the whole thing just kind of blew up from there. Just the more I started doing it, the more people came to the website, the easier it was to get products. And, and it had this kind of snowball effect of this dumb, stupid idea I had as a student actually became this really popular website with tens of thousands of visitors on there, loads of different companies that were interested. And I learned a lot as well about kind of PR and marketing and the power of the internet as well in kind of sharing stories. It was just a lot of fun as well. What was the first letter? Or was it a letter or was it a phone call? What was the first attempt? So the first attempt was just send 20 emails and just don't look at it after that actually because <laughs> <laughs> i was terrified i mean doing a phone call to ask for something for free was was terrifying then probably scare me now and the first thing i got was a voucher for a pack of mcbitty's hobnobs you can <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty good uh, you know i'd take that now as a freebie that's great so would i a hobnob with a, a coffee is amazing yeah yeah and then i thought okay cool like this can actually be done I wrote a review about the hobnobs on my website, which was a <laughs> glowing review. Everyone loves hobnobs. 
And that was a website I just made for that project as well, back on a site called Blogger, which was kind of like a WordPress of its day. Totally free, didn't cost me anything, set it up in five minutes. But it gave it this kind of pillar for all the content to sit on and to grow on and mm. for the audience to see it. And then, yeah, I just started sending emails every day to any company that I wanted. And it, the peak was kind of one Christmas where I managed to get the Christmas tree, the presents, the turkey, all the trimmings completely free, just through the site and through asking people. I even convinced companies to wrap the presents up, then send them to me. <laughs> Just nuts. <laughs> so they not only gave you the presents for your family, but they wrapped them for you. Yeah, yeah, which is the height of laziness. But I wasn't like an influencer or, or anyone. Like anyone could have done that at the time, and people still can do that now. It's all about having, you know, they didn't just do it because they liked me. They did it because they looked at the website and thought, actually, this guy can get our product exposure to, to hundreds, thousands of people. And most products don't really have that kind of outlet for a, a review. No one's writing reviews about hobnobs or <laughs> Christmas trees. Uh, yeah. And just really for well. our international audience, a hobnob is a type of cookie, which is also known as a biscuit in England. But I know that's also confusing because a biscuit in America is not a cookie. So it gets very confusing. But you dip a hobnob some of them have chocolate on, some of them don't. You dip them in a mug of tea or coffee and eat them. It's a type of cookie. That was the most confusing explanation ever, wasn't it, Mike? <laughs> I'm glad you did explain that in hindsight uh, for people who didn't know. Yes, I believe our international audience will be going, what is a hobnob? That sounds disturbing and disgusting. It's actually delicious. If you come to England, have hobnobs with tea or coffee, you will not be disappointed. But let's get back to this, because I think you actually made a very important point there. Now, whilst we talk, the sensationalist headline is getting stuff for free. But actually, there is an exchange. There is an exchange. You're not giving money, but something goes in the other way as well. Yeah, 100%. And in terms of what exchange you offer for that free stuff, there's never been more avenues or ways to do that than ever. You know, you could start a blog, have a YouTube channel, set up a social media account, build an email list. I mean, there's tons of examples in the book as well of, of sort of ways to do it. But really, it's what can you offer in return for something? Yes, it's what can you offer in return and what value does that bring to the other person? And I think there's an interesting bit about value, which I'd like to come along to. Before I do that, I've actually got a live example. My little brother has just had triplets. Aww. And if you go to Instagram, it's London underscore triplets. And he's got pictures of them there. And in the nine months since they were born, he's got 56,000 followers. And he's built an incredible Instagram account. And people are sending him clothing for the triplets. So shout out to my nieces and nephews, Troy, Scarlett and Max. So Roy, my little brother, is actually doing this right now on Instagram, exactly what you're talking about. But there is absolutely a value exchange because with 56,000 followers, when he does a post about the things he's been sent, that puts their product out to an audience that are interested in young babies. Totally. Yeah. And it has that added value of if it comes from a real person, the people that see it, they attribute greater weight to it. Like it seems more honest and trustworthy than if it appeared in, I don't know, Baby Monthly magazine. 
there's actually some crazy stat about the percentage of people that believe an advert. It is quite low. And marketeers all over the world have worked out that you're not really that likely to trust a billboard, an advert in a magazine, an online advert on Facebook. What's your percentage chance of trusting that compared to a recommendation for a friend? If a friend says this is good or someone you know says this is good, that holds more weight than you could imagine. So you've started writing emails. People have started sending you stuff. You've started blogging about it. What age are you at this point and how did you make the jump from there to book? So I was 18 when I started that project, did it till I was about 20, 21. People kept asking me like, okay, but how could I get this for free? How could I get this for free? And I sort of thought there's a lot of websites out there that'll tell you regular free offers like, hey, this company's got free shampoo this month, this company's got this. And I was like, I don't want to just do something like that. I want to empower people to have the tools to build their own platform to be able to have that exposure for products or whatever they want. You know, they could be someone who goes to a nightclub and reviews it and gives feedback to the company and never even shares it online. Like it doesn't just have to be web-based. So the book was my way of saying, okay, here's everything I've learned over the last three years so that anybody can do this in any way they want. I love that. So give us some tips. Where do we start? Because in the book, you kind of lay it out as a process. How do we start? Where do we go, Mike? So one of the first things to look at is what are you really interested in? Like when I did it, it was super broad. It was any product, any company. But it actually works a lot better if you decide to look at it and say, I've got a real interest in photography. I know a lot about this particular thing. I'd be interested in getting cameras, lenses, printing kits, stock photos, etc., and I'll do a site about that and I'll start out by reviewing what I've already used and things I've tried and giving my opinion on that. And then you can approach companies once you've got that platform to say, look, I'm really knowledgeable on this. I'd like to review your product. I'd like to try your product out or come to your factory, learn more about your technology, et cetera, et cetera. And you can actually use it to get your dream position in these companies sometimes as an employee, but also to get that closeness to a company you never would have had before. I love that. So what you're really doing is using your skills, your time and your energy to understand and promote their business. And that's the value exchange that you give that business at the start. So basically, it starts with you giving them something for free. Yeah, 100%. And it's funny because now I work in marketing. I'm on the other side of that equation. So now I'm trying to find people to promote my products and the companies that I represent and their products. And that's exactly what I'm looking for day in, day out is not necessarily influencers, not necessarily the people who've got tens of millions of followers. I want to find the real people to spread the message about the products and services and to also give feedback as well. Like customer feedback is really hard to get that's honest and trustworthy. And finding someone who's got that genuine passion for something is tough. But if you can put your name out there and say, hey, I'm the go-to person for cameras or biscuit reviews, or <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your passion? You should start writing about it or blogging about it or doing videos about it or taking pictures about it or even do a podcast like Alan's doing here. Just find a way to get that tentpole in the ground and say, this is me, this is who I am, and this is what I love to do. And I think it's fascinating. I wrote an article on my blog recently about the magic of putting yourself out there. If you do this, 
If you pick that subject that you love and you start to contribute, give ideas, share your message, it is incredible where that leads and who talks to you and how it happens. Absolutely incredible. And I think we've got a sensationalist headline of how to get free stuff every day. Or sorry, get free stuff every day. But really, what we're doing is putting our energy and positivity into the universe and then directly going to people and chatting to them. And sometimes the magic comes back. Is that how you would describe it? That's spot on. Yeah. I mean, if the goal is I'm just doing this because I want to get something for nothing, then that won't succeed because you can't get something for nothing. Like Alan says, there has to be that value exchange. There has to be that passion from your side as well in terms of what you're going to give them back in return for that instead of money. That's really what you've got to focus on. So what's the biggest mistakes you've seen people make doing this, Mike? What's the biggest mistakes people make? I think that one of the main mistakes is not putting the time in at the start, is having this expectation of, okay, I've created a website. Great. Where's my traffic? Why is no one coming to it? Why don't I have any audience? And actually building up a blog or a website now does take a long time and consistency in the message and what you're posting That doesn't mean to say it's going to take a year before you get any traction, but you do have to have that commitment of, okay, I'm just going to write for 20 minutes every day and I'm just going to put it out there and and polish it over time. The flip side of that is people thinking that everything's got to be perfect and that the first Mm -hmm. bit of content they put out there has got to be 100% perfect. I can't read what I wrote at the start now. It is (laughs) awful, (laughs) but it worked. And really, nothing's ever perfect. If you wait for perfection, you'll probably never do it. So just put something out there and and get opinions and get feedback. And then that's the only way you're going to improve it. Absolutely. There is no such thing as perfection. I actually did a Google Images search for perfection and you would be surprised what comes up. But there's no such thing as perfection. It doesn't exist. And one of the statements we regularly repeat at Pop-Up is, done is better than perfect. So you just got to start. So, Mike, one of the things I've experienced, and let me know if you've seen this or what your thoughts are, is that when we talk to our audience at the pop-up business schools about getting things for free and they just have to ask, they get very excited and then they go and talk at people and ask. But the mistake I seem to see them make is they don't think about what's in it for the other person. Do you see people making that mistake? And if so, how do you go about thinking about what's in it for the person you're making the ask from? So I'll use an example of how I get business for my company (laughs) that I run now, uh, which is a marketing agency. So if I were to approach my potential customers and just say, can I have some work? What do you need doing? Give us some money. It just shuts the conversation down straight away. Instead, what I'm doing, and this is still the same equation, is what value can I give them that will want them to do business with me later? So I'm sharing blog posts with them. I'm asking them questions. I'm trying to learn more about their business. And the conversations I'm having are very much sort of one-to-one conversations. So rather than send out 20 emails to a load of companies, I'm sending five emails to companies I've really researched where I understand that value equation. And straight away, the email will have sort of a problem that I can help them solve. So the agency I run helps engineering and manufacturing and technical businesses to market their business better. So straight away, I go in by saying, does your agency understand this particular niche that you're in? I can help with that. And this is the experience I've got. 
and then build the story from there rather than just a blanket bulk email. Do you want to buy some marketing services, which wouldn't work anywhere near as well. So the advice is target the person, understand their business, work out what value means to them and then make the ask or the offer. Yeah, spot on. And I've done it the other way and I've seen how hard it is to get that to work the other way and how much time is wasted doing that and also how many bridges are burnt for the future by doing it the bad way. Yes, and for a crude analogy, sales in the first way where you're just spraying your message out there is like you open a fire hose and shoot everywhere trying to soak as many people as you can in your message. The other way, which Mike is talking about, is to choose the one, two, three, five, ten companies that you want to approach and sending them a very targeted, it's like a dart or an arrow that goes straight to them. And you can waste so much resource spraying your message out there to people who aren't interested, or you can target and find the one or two people that might actually want you. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. And the thing is the spray and pray approach, it gives you a great dopamine rush. Like you'll feel really productive if you send 100 emails to 100 companies, you'll feel like, yeah, I smashed it. I'm going to get loads of business off the back of that. But actually, it's when you pause and take the time to research the companies, it can be frustrating. I get frustrated with that feeling like this is taking a long time just to send one email. But then when you get that $100, $1,000, $10,000 contract off the back of it, you realize that actually that time you put in at the start is minuscule compared to the value you get out of it later. I love that expression, spray and pray. That's what we want to avoid. (laughs) Do not go around spraying and praying at people. This is not good. (laughs) This is not good. So I'm really interested, Mike. You've done this free stuff. You've got lots of free things. Please take this question in the way it's intended. What gave you the authority or the right to write the book about free stuff? I didn't see anybody else who had taken that same approach to what they were doing. So as I mentioned earlier, this was before YouTube and Instagram. There were no online influencers. There were no other people doing this exact same model. So it was quite a novel concept at the time. And I'd written blog posts about it on my site with some initial tips and initial ideas. And they were always the most popular pieces of content on the site. So it made sense to look at that and say, okay, how can I bundle this up into a book that sort of dives a little deeper and gives people the process from start to finish? I love that because quite often people have done sensational things in their life, but they don't give themselves permission to write about it. And it sounds like you just were like, well, no one else is doing it. I'm going to do it. And I love that approach. So did you self-publish? Did you find a publisher? How old were you at this point and what happened? So I think at this point, what was it? Probably like 25. So I'd finished the site by that point. And in the end, I actually gave all the products away to charity in a charity raffle, which raised over £20,000 for a children's charity. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And it also felt like a really nice end to it. Like I didn't want to be doing that same project my whole life. I'd proven that people could get stuff for free. And by doing the book, it was also like a full stop for me as well in terms of saying, here's every single thing I know about this. I'm going to go try something new. And yeah, so I wrote the book myself. I thought of it like blog posts and chapters. So it was like, okay, today I'm going to write the chapter on this bit. And then I broke it down into manageable steps like that. So rather than thinking, oh God, I've got to write a 300 page book. It was like, I've just got to write 25 chapters 
And that was a much easier process to go through. And then I found a publisher and published it through them. But to be honest, I wouldn't say having a publisher is the be all and end all. I've done other books since that I've self-published and had much more success than through the one that was with a publisher. Now, I probably picked the wrong publisher, to be honest. <laughs> but 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 don't feel like that's got to hold you back. Like It's so easy to self-publish now. Like if you've got an idea, you can just go out there and, and, and write it and publish it on Kindle and other sites in, I think it's like an hour to upload the book. Like It's really easy to do. It's probably more than an hour to write it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although my, so I wrote some fiction books afterwards and I just wrote them on the train to work every day. So I had a 30 minute train journey to work. I thought I can look at the window and do nothing or I can write for 30 minutes every day. And in three months, I'd actually written a book as opposed to just looking out the window or looking at my phone. So it can be done if you, even if you've got a very tiny amount of time that you're just sort of fitting it into. I love that. So the people listening, when do you have time that you're not using for other things that you can take out your phone, take out your laptop and work on different bits? Are you on the train? Are you on the bus? Are you stood waiting for someone? There are these little pockets of time in our life that we can recover and use for something productive. And I love the fact you did that with a book. Since leaving university, Mike, you've been an employee up until recently with a, a number of side hustles. Why did you do all these side hustles and what kept you motivated in the free time after work, before work? So most of the side hustles were really just to try a new challenge that I wasn't getting to try in my day job. My career has been really good to me. and I've enjoyed all my jobs, but there's always like moments where I thought, can I write a book? Can I do a video series? Can I run a blog? Can I do this? And the answer is usually yes, as long as you break down a bit of time and, and just try it. Like there's not many things you can't do. And even the side hustles that I've done that haven't been a big success, I've always learned something new and I've all come out of it with a skill or something that looks good on my CV. A lot of employers love the fact that I've written fiction books, by the way, even though it's completely irrelevant to the job. <laughs> it's like a little bit of extra character rather than like in additional interest, just saying I like to go see movies with my friends. Like, yes, it, it, it's it published author, to the person. <laughs> yeah. website owner. Yeah, it adds a lot of character. Yeah. I mean, I never set the expectation that any of my side hustles were going to be my day job or replace my career. That was too much pressure. It was more like, oh, I've got this idea for a fictional book. I'm going to write it, see if anybody likes it. And it made okay money, but reading the reviews and getting emails from fans who like the characters and the world... That was way more powerful for me than getting like their two ninety nine for the book. It was much more about the feedback. I bet. And I know absolutely from running pop-up business schools, the thing that drives me is the people that email a year later and say, I've done it. I built a business. I'm making money. That's what drives me. And you need the money to pay for your mortgage. Don't get me wrong. But the emails back are absolutely the lifeblood. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. That's what I do it for. I'm all about sort of sharing knowledge as well. When I started my career, I went to conferences and I read a lot of blog posts and I work in digital marketing, which is a really fast moving industry. And the reason it moves so fast is because other people are generous with their time and their knowledge and pay it back to other people by passing that on. And I always swore that when I knew enough myself, I would do exactly the same thing. And 
I would blog about it and I'd stand on stages at conferences and share that knowledge as well. And that's what I've done. I've never accepted a speaking fee for a single conference. It's more about getting out there and sharing that knowledge and and giving it back to people. So we have a whole host of people listening to this podcast who have either A, started a business or are interested in getting something going. If you had a message to the people that they've got an employed job, they're thinking about quitting and going all in on their business, what's your message about? Should they do it as a side hustle in their spare time? Should they go all in? What thoughts do you have around that, Mike? I think initially the thing to do would be to try it as a side hustle. If it's something you've never done before and never had experience of, it can be a big leap to go from that to doing the entire project and another thing to think about as well is what's your marketing strategy like before you do anything is actually take a moment and go who's my target audience what are they interested in what value can i give to them from this product or service that i want to sell and then actually email people that you think are your target customers and get their feedback like don't just get feedback from family and friends who aren't your target audience because they won't understand that challenge you're trying to solve like your typical customer will. And I know it's people kind of look down on offering services for free. Like you get that kind of view of like, oh, can you do this for exposure? And that's become a bit of a joke now. But actually there can be value in saying for the first customer, I'm just going to try this for free just to see if I can actually do it. No pressure on me. But then their value that they're giving you is what you can do to make it better and what they actually think of that service and whether you could do that as a full-time opportunity. So don't think of it as you're doing something for free because there's all this extra value you're going to get that's going to allow you to build a side hustle or a business as a result of it. But you definitely need to ask for that value because if you say, I'll give you something for free, you do it, but then you never ask for the feedback for the testimonial, for the referral, whatever it is. If you never ask for that, it never comes. And one of the things my mum drummed into me was, if you don't ask, you don't get. Same. Yeah. I love that saying so much. Like My whole life is just me being cheeky and asking for stuff (laughs) and asking for feedback. But it's allowed my career to grow in the way it has. And also, like one of my previous bosses said, like, I'm the kind of person who, if a door is open a little bit, like if an opportunity is there just a little bit, I will push on that door every damn day until I can make that happen. Whereas the other people in the company would just say, oh, that door's a bit shut. We're not going to do that. We're not going to try that marketing tactic. We're not going to do that thing. But if you're not sort of pushing the boundaries and trying new things, and if you always accept no for an answer, then you're limiting your career and sort of personal opportunities, in my view. How do you give yourself permission to push on that door and ask? How do you let yourself do that? Because that's something I struggled with in the early days was there's an opportunity there, but I was nervous. I was shy. I didn't want to. How do you give yourself permission? I was exactly the same. And I still am in some situations. And I mean, one thing that helps is having a boss that's completely got your corner. Like if you've got a business, a boss who's completely sort of pushing you down and not letting you explore new opportunities and is just like, do the work to the letter every day that I want, then in those situations, you are very limited. And that is frustrating. And it may be worth exploring other opportunities or doing a side hustle to give you the opportunity to try those new things, to give yourself permission to try them 
with zero risk if they do fail because it's out of that public eye. It's out of that sort of everyday cycle of work. But the good thing about marketing or a lot of opportunities is they don't always have to cost a lot of money. Like if you want to try something out like content or a press release or social media or anything like that, you can usually do it for free or you can do a minimum viable products, which is quite a popular idea of what's the minimum that's required in order to try this idea out and to prove that it works. So rather than saying, oh, we need a $10,000 budget to try this out, say, what's the version we can deliver for $1,000 to prove it? And then we'll get the budget approved to do it more. Yes. And you can even take that further nowadays with sites like Kickstarter, where you can sell before you've even created it. Yeah, I love Kickstarter. Totally. And then what you're really risking is some time and energy, not your own cash. And I think that's one of the big differences. And what we're talking about here is the sort of experimenting with ideas. And if you want to go back, episode seven is my business partner, Simon, and I talking about mini experiments. And that's exactly what Mike has repeatedly done throughout his career is these experiments of, can I get free stuff? Can I write a book? Can I launch a website? And he's done these experiments to learn what he does. And I guess like you keep doing these experiments. What's the biggest thing you've learned from having done these series of side hustles or mini experiments? One of the most powerful things about them is that every experiment, even if it failed, has built my audience, like has built the available number of people that I can reach with the next project and with the next idea. And that gives me that power to know, okay, I can try another idea and I can do it. And of the ones that I've tried that failed, there's nobody like who's rubbed it in my face or knocked me down or is just constantly bringing it up. Like the fear of failure is pretty much totally gone because I've failed multiple times, (laughs) 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 which is great. Like the quicker you can fail, the better, because then you realize the world doesn't end and you can go on and, and try something riskier next time. Yeah, one of our favorite expressions at Pop-Up is fail fast and fail cheap. If you're going to do it, get (laughs) it done quick and without spending any money, and then you get the learning and you can move on to the one that actually works. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So two questions. Feel free to go whichever one you want. What's been the biggest, quote, failure you've had running these side hustles? And what's been the biggest success you've had running these side hustles? Um, So the biggest failure was probably a video course that I did. So put quite a lot of time into it. And I just sort of launched it on a site called Udemy. And there was loads of other ones on there. But the problem was I should have done a couple and then got feedback and then improved it. Problem was I filmed the entire course, got everything done, put it out there. And it was only then that I realized that the video quality and the audio quality weren't really good enough. So now it's a course that I'm almost ashamed to promote because video and audio quality keeps getting better and better and it looks crapper and crapper. I mean, it wasn't like a huge time sink, but it's a shame to be embarrassed of a project. But I still learned a lot from that. I still learned video production skills and I know that if I did it again, it would go a lot better. The most successful project was probably Blagman, which was the free stuff one that I started with, just purely because I did it when I was 18. So it gave me that good foundation that the other projects have built on. And I kind of leveraged it to get various jobs along the way. So yeah, that was, it was a good project. And obviously given raising the money for charity at the end was like a great sort of finish to it. That's incredible. Auctioning off all the free stuff to raise 20 grand for charity. I think that's incredible. So you have recently 
made the decision to leave full-time employment and to launch your own business and go self-employed. Run me through what happened. Why did you make that choice? Like, you seem to be quite happy with all the roles you had. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best timing in hindsight with everything going on right now. But yeah, I, I loved my jobs, but <laughs> also felt like I tried a lot of the things I wanted to do. I'd worked in an agency, I'd worked in-house for a really large company, and I'd worked in-house for a small company. And I always wanted to try doing my own thing when I had a really good base of experience to build on. So I knew that my clients were getting the best possible service. And I read a book by Kirsty Hulse, The Future is Freelance. And what she talks about there is that no job is completely stable or safe. And that was always my biggest worry with going freelance was, oh, you know, I'm completely exposed here if something goes wrong. And lo and behold, I did get made redundant before I went freelance. So it was actually the perfect time to build a business during that notice period and to get things started. And things are going well. So I launched the company Devise Marketing. And because I focused on a specific niche of B2B businesses that don't get traditionally very well supported by marketing agencies, that's made it an easier sell than it would have been if I supported any company. And it's allowed that message to cut through a little bit better with the audience as well. And so far, it's going well. We've got a few good clients and there's sort of a good potential to grow from there. So, yeah, I'm really happy that I made the leap. I love that. And actually, a similar thing happened to me. I got fired. That was my push to start my own business. And sometimes these things of redundancies being forced to make the decision can actually turn out to be one of the best things ever. Yeah, it actually did. Like the day I got made redundant, I was really happy. Like, and I loved, <laughs> yes, like, I'm yeah. redundant. Like I loved that job and I didn't want to leave. And I'd been there a year and a half. I wanted to stay there for around four to five years. Like that's just the kind of person I am. I like to be there for the long term. But I actually went on LinkedIn and held up a piece of paper that said, I'm redundant with a big smile on my face and put like, I've just been made redundant. So why am I smiling? And it was because the amount of possibilities that it opened up were huge for me. Like it's the first time I'd ever had a moment to reflect on my career and say, okay, there's no other job lined up here. There's no safety net. What am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family and keep a roof over my head? I love that challenge. Like maybe I'm just crazy, but <laughs> it, it was like, okay, I've got the freedom to do whatever I want now. Let's go for it. Let's build a business. I love that because there's actually two things that happen there. One is you were excited about the opportunities. And I think that's quite often the difference that I notice between an entrepreneur and someone who doesn't start a business is they look for what the opportunity is. They don't look for what they've lost. And at that point of redundancy, you could have gone, I've lost my job. I've lost my income. I'm in a mess. And you could have spiraled the other way. But you chose yeah. to look for the opportunity. Is that something that you've trained yourself to do? or I think as I've got older, I've come to accept that the quicker I can get through the stages of grief, the better. I could have wasted weeks of being upset about it and frustrated about it, but I knew the business circumstances for why it happened. It wasn't personal. There was no demon to fight or enemy to be angry at. It was just life. And I just accepted that straight away and turned it into positive energy and an opportunity instead of letting it control me. Like I tried to control the situation instead. So you put that out. Did you start to originally look for a job or did you just immediately go, 
time for my own agency, time for my own business, that's it. So I had a three-month notice period, so I was very lucky. And the first couple of weeks, I did keep all my options open, so I applied for jobs, and I also looked what was out there and started speaking to potential clients just in case. But in the back of my mind, building a business was always the way I wanted to go. I just needed to prove it could be done. And the second I got my first client, I went all in on that approach. And the, and the money from that client was not huge. It could just about cover my mortgage, but no other costs. But it was still that confidence of like, okay, cool. Somebody is prepared to pay me for this. Let's do it. Yeah, it's amazing when you get that first customer and that vote of confidence, how much it gives you a spark to go and find number two and number three. Yeah, it, it really did. It really did. And, and I had confidence in it, but it wasn't really until I got that first customer that I knew. And even when I send invoices out to customers now, I'm still amazed when they pay me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not tell them you didn't hear that. Yeah. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I do really good work. It's good value. But it's just that idea of like, like when you get in a paycheck, you just accept it. Like, okay, yeah, I've got my paycheck this month. But when you actually send an invoice out and you get that money in a business account, you really feel like you've earned it more than you do with a paycheck. It's a weird feeling. I don't know if everyone else feels that way, but that's, that's what I feel like. It is a wonderful feeling because you created that. That literally didn't exist. You found a client, you built it, you took the whole steps, and then that money is your reward. It's it's a very pure thing. Yeah, that's spot on. And I've never had that feeling before. And And when you're in a day job as well, you have days where you maybe don't get as much stuff done or you get stuck in corporate bureaucracy and approval, blah, blah, and people shoot your (laughs) ideas down and you don't always feel in control of what's going on around you. But when you're running your own own business, it's like the book stops with you, like you're controlling your own destiny in a way. And all those frustrations sort of fade away. It can also have a different side because if the book stops with you, it also means if it's not going well, it's you. There is no one else to blame when you're self-employed. And that can be exciting and scary as well. So how long have you been going now? Is it sort of nine months since we last spoke? Uh, So the business has only been going two to three months. Oh, wow. It's really fresh. So it's really fresh. Yeah. We launched whilst coronavirus was happening in China, but it didn't seem a problem at the time. And then, yeah, we've definitely found sort of selling the service is harder right now. But that's another good point for anyone who's listening to this now is that we I got a new client last month. No, sorry, last week. Even with everything going on, there is still new business out there to be won. So that's the height of the recession, right at the height of coronavirus. And you've managed to win a piece of business at that point. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think they'll grow into the biggest client that I've got. And the only reason I got that client was because I'm still proactively out there and having conversations and seeing how I can add value. And I think if I was going for the hard sell approach, I don't think that would cut through right now at all. I think that would just frustrate people and be a little bit inconsiderate. But because of the value exchange, it's still it's working in this situation. You've had two to three months to do this. Has there been any dark moments where you just go, why am I doing this? Or has it all been fluffy clouds and rainbows and unicorns? It's been pretty positive. I feel like I've been lucky and maybe the dark times are coming later. I mean, I've had clients, I had one client go out of business and not pay. And, you know, there have been some challenges like that along the way. But I feel like the idea is sound and that even if there's a time when I'm not bringing in as much as I'd like, that 
it will still be there. It's still a business that people want and that when we're out of the coronavirus crisis and out of the recession, it will be able to thrive. And that's what gives me confidence. Like anytime I'm having a dark day, I just think about the longer term situation instead. Absolutely. And I actually launched my business, my first training business in 08 at the height of the financial crisis. And it was kind of similar. It was tough times, but I wanted to get out there and I wanted to make it happen. And I think if you can build a business in tough times, when the good times come, it sets you in good stead. And there's some incredible number of amazing businesses that are built in the toughest of times. So if you can live now, if you can make it work now, when the good times roll, you're going to be in a wonderful position. Yeah. And I also look at other people that inspire me who've done it as well. Like there are people who I worked with 10 years ago who've already trailed this path that I'm on. Like they've already proven it could work. People that were junior to me at the time are now running sort of multi-million pound businesses. And that's amazing. And I look at that and think, okay, great. You know, they've been able to do that. I trained them and now they're doing it themselves. (laughs) So, you know, surely I can do it too. (laughs) But yeah, I look at the other people that are making it work and it's like, okay, this is clearly a business model that works. You know, I'm not the first person on the planet to have this idea. And most businesses that you come up with, you won't be the first person. And that's okay. You learn from the best and do your own take on it. And you look at the size of the pie and you realize that actually, you know, if you're self-employed, you probably only need a very small amount of clients to pay the same as what you were getting as a salary. It's not like you have to speak to hundreds and thousands of people to make it work. I think I only I need less than 10 clients a month to be in a good financial situation. Breaking it down like that, it makes it a lot easier challenge. And those 10 clients a month, I'm assuming they stay with you month after month. So actually you only need, what, 10 to 15 clients for a year or is it something like that? Yeah, I'm lucky that the type of work I do, which is digital marketing, is retainer-based type work. I do really feel for the people right now that are like graphic designers or photographers whose work is project by project. And I'm sure they're definitely struggling in this sort of environment. But again, I'm sure they've got confidence that once things turn around, their demand will probably be higher than it was before because people will still need to market and still need to sell their services. Absolutely. It always comes back. So, Mike, one thing that I think people will be really interested, you've been building a digital marketing agency. If you were advising new business startups in 2020, what kind of digital marketing tips would you be giving? And actually, does it matter that it's 2020? Would these tips be timeless? I think they would be timeless. And the one thing that has really helped me is getting an understanding of the wider picture of marketing. So when I started my career, all I did was digital marketing. And I was very much of the view that TV is dead and print media is dead and you only need digital. And actually, as my career grew and I took on wider marketing roles, I realized that digital is only a small piece of the picture and everything else actually fits in really well. And also doing a Chartered Institute of Marketing course gave me that foundation of strategy as well and how it all fits together. But yeah, fundamental bits really are content and PR is a great area to get the business out there completely free. So that includes doing press releases and editorials in magazines and websites to get your name out there. I never buy advertising in print or online media 
but I always run editorial as much as I can because it's got that, it goes back to what we said earlier about that trusted opinion. It's like you could run an advert where it's obvious you've paid for it, or you could do a free piece of editorial where it's got that human element and that added trust to it, and it doesn't cost you anything. Like that's an easy equation for me to understand. But fundamentally, you need a website, a strong website that's had search engine optimization, again, which is something you can do yourself for free, or you can use an agency when you're ready to do it to extend that project and do more with it and get even more traffic. And there's loads of guides. If you Google Moz, which is M-O-Z, there's tons of free guides to SEO that will help you get started with that. And the same with social. Just make sure you've got that presence on the key social media channels that are relevant to your industry. You don't have to be on all of them. If you're a B2B business, there's really no point being on TikTok or, <laughs> or <laughs> Not Facebook. Not yet, probably. anyway. Yeah. Not yet, no. So just it's better to kind of say, actually, our audience is on LinkedIn. The last company I worked for was a green energy company, but they were very sort of heavy industrial based. So we just focused on LinkedIn, spent a lot of time getting that absolutely perfect. And LinkedIn is probably the best social media channel right now for reaching a B2B audience or a buying type of audience. I absolutely love it. And that's also a really great place to build a personal brand as well. LinkedIn's algorithm is so good right now. All the other networks are trying to reduce the amount of people you can reach if you're not prepared to pay. LinkedIn is expanding the reach to your second connections and your third connections. And that is great. Like they're completely turned the model on its head. And I actually think it's the best social network out there right now. Wow. So if you were giving some advice on LinkedIn, what would you tell people to do? Do they just get on there and post or what do they do? Yeah, so be human, have that sort of personality. If all you're sharing on there are just links to your business website and saying, you know, buy this product, that doesn't really go down very well. But if you've got that human aspect about the challenge your product can solve and how you're making the world better, if that's applicable to you, or just how your business is improving, like what your employees up to, what hobbies do they like, what fun things are they doing for charity, Stuff like that goes down really well. But the key thing is consistency, getting on there and posting. I mean, I post something every day, but you don't even have to do it that often. Just a few times a week really helps. The important thing is don't just post something once and then give up when you only get two likes. Like all the really popular people are popular because they've done it day in, day out, every single day. And that's how you can make LinkedIn really work for you. I love that. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for your tips, your ideas, your energy, your stories. This kind of thing is oxygen for the entrepreneurs who are coming through. I absolutely love that you've done this for us. If people want to know more about your your work, your books, is there one place that they go or do they go to many places? Where would they go to check out what you've been doing? So they can visit my personal site, which is mikeessex.com. There you can learn all about the books I've written, including Tethered Twins, which is this crazy story where everyone's born with a twin. But if one of them dies, the other one dies as well. So it's a little bit sci-fi, a little bit crazy. Wow. And you can also visit Devise Marketing, which is the agency that I run, which is D-E-V-I-S-E marketing.co.uk. Although we do serve clients all over the world and just help them build better businesses. Excellent. Mike, thank you for being on the show. You've been fabulous. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. That was episode 19 with Mike Essex, all about how to get free stuff 
every day. And I think one of the pieces I'd really like you to take away from this episode is the exchange of value. Now, whilst Mike was getting things for free, he always gave value and he gave first. And this is the key, is the giving first. What I've noticed with so many people is they want to receive first before they do any work. Mike had the exact opposite approach where he got out there. He did. He did things for free and he gave. Then he asked for things to come back. And I think that is critical with what you're doing. So actually, that's my challenge to you this week. I want you to find five people that you can give something to. Whether it's businesses you want to support, whether it's individuals you want to work with, find a way to give them something. Whether it's promoting their service, whether it's supporting on what they do, whether it's connecting, whether it's giving them a report. I don't care what it is. Find a way to add value to five people you would like to work with. Do that. Do it without any expectation of things coming back and give because there is a magic in putting yourself out there and giving. Please take that challenge, get out there, add value to five other people's lives that you'd like to work with, and let me know what happens. That was episode 19. Episode 20 is coming up next, and it actually builds on what Mike has said fantastically. Episode 20 is, you are going to fail. Because if you're not putting yourself out there, well, that's the only way to not fail. So you're going to fail. How should you respond? And my business partner, Simon, and I talk all about failure, how to recover, how to reframe and what to do with failure. Then we've got episode 21, which I'm very excited about, which is talking all about quitting, because quitting can be seen as a dirty word in entrepreneurship. But actually, one of the things Mike said to me after the call was a side hustle isn't forever. And just because you launch a business, just because you launch a side hustle, doesn't mean you have to run it forever. You can quit and you can go and do something else. And Simon and I will be talking all about quitting. Episode 22 is the Entrepreneur's Guide to Investing. And I am very proud to have JL Collins, who wrote The Simple Path to Wealth, on to talk all about investing and the simple path to investment. Then we've got a load of other exciting episodes coming up. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Please get out there, take action, make things happen, go add value to five people's lives and give first. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion.